spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples today. Welcome to Totally Lit, the podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai Garvey, thank you for listening. My guest this episode is Josh Donnellan. Josh is a writer, musician, poet and teacher. He was almost devoured by a tiger in the jungles of Malaysia, nearly died of a lung collapse in the Nepalese Himalayas, fended off a pack of rabid dogs with the guitar in the mountains of India, and was sexually harassed by a half-naked man whilst standing next to Oscar Wilde's grave in Paris. His debut novel, A Beginner's Guide to Dying in India, was the winner of the 2009 IP Picks Best Fiction Award. He scripted and voiced the internationally popular pocket hipster iPhone application Even though he doesn't have an iPhone, Josh was a state finalist in the 2012 and 2014 Australian Poetry Slams and a national finalist in 2015. His novel Killing Adonis was nominated for a Kirkus Prize and has recently been adapted into an audiobook. He has two novels slated for release in 2023, Lenore's Last Funeral and The Fabulist. The film adaption of the latter is currently in development with continuance pictures. He's also won a bunch of other awards but refuses to list them all here because no one likes a braggart. I hope you enjoy my chat with Josh. Josh Donnellan, welcome to Totally Lit. I'm very excited to have you on the show. I love supporting Brisbane writers. Um, So thank you very much for joining me to share your work with my listeners. Um, How are you today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm pretty good. I'm actually in the midst of planning a program with um, the organisation Everybody Now, where we're going to teach uh, slam poetry to senior citizens. It's really fun. It's a really cool project to work on. So, yeah, I'm lucky. I get to do my own stuff in the arts, and I get to help other people make their stuff, and that's a pretty good gig. I'm very jealous of you being a slam poet. I would love to do that, but I'm not quick enough. <laughs> my well, brain's a bit it. slow. I, I find myself on being able to teach anyone. I promise, you, I promise you could do it if you set your mind to it. I'm actually going to Ruckus tonight to check oh, out some slam poetry. Um, it's the first so. time I've been, so it should be super cool. Yeah, very proud. Now, we're here today to talk about um, something exciting for you, which is your Killing Adonis novel, which mm-hmm. is being released as an audiobook um, mm-hmm. in July. So that that's out now. It was released on July 12th. Got it right now, yeah. Fantastic. Um, can you tell me a bit about the, the premise of the story? Yeah, it's really, it's so fascinating for me. It's like, because um, I actually wrote this story quite a while ago. It's had a few incarnations, so it's sort of like visiting an old friend again. Uh, but it's it's a dark comedy. It's quite farcical. And at its heart, it's about a nurse who kind of loses her way and takes a strange invitation to work for a very eccentric, uh, very strange, wealthy family. And her job for them is to care for their comatose son, uh, but they're a little bit divorced from reality, so they sort of treat him like he's still in the world and wheel him out for birthdays, and they're trying to get him married. And while this is happening, their corporate rivals are disappearing in uh, fatal and very elaborate manners. So it's it's a mix of uh, dark comedy, kind of a look at corporate greed, uh, and it's also very, yeah, kind of farcical kind of mystery as well. Right, okay. And... Um... How has the process of being of turning that into an audiobook 
Um, so you've had it in the, a hard copy that people can hold in their hands. Yeah. Um, and this is like the next kind of iteration of the novel. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. You know, like the first version came out through in Australia, who were great. Um, and, you know, it got some really good reviews. It did fine. Like, it wasn't like a blockbuster, but it did fine. And got some really good reviews. It was all great. And then an American publisher picked it up, and it did pretty good over there. Got nominated for the Kirkus Award, which was cool. Uh, and I've got another book coming out through that publisher next year. And then, so it's kind of ticking along. It's fine. It's all good. And then, um, yeah, it's my, I just got an agent recently. And she kind of just threw some stuff out for me that had been sitting around for a while uh, and got it from some good people. So one of it was yeah, getting this into an audiobook format, which has been great. I'm a, I'm a parent as of um, about 20 months ago, and so I'm doing a lot more of my reading via audio because I can clean and I can uh, do laundry and stuff while I'm listening. So. <laughs> You've learned how to multitask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always loved audiobooks, but a lot more of it now. I'm also doing a lot of driving for gigs like all over the place, so... Yeah, I've always enjoyed them, but I was very excited to have this. And also, I think in the last few years, um, working in podcasting, connected with a lot of people who are like, well, I don't like to read because I have dyslexia or because I have problems with my eyes or whatever. And so I think oh, I'm going to offend some people by saying this, but there's some snobbishness around the act of reading itself that it's, I think reading is obviously a beautiful thing. That's one of the reasons why I'm a writer and I love to read. But obviously there's barriers for some people and I think we need to acknowledge that and find other ways for people to embrace story and information mm. um, accessible. Yeah, so audiobooks are great for that. You're a teacher as well. Are you still in the teaching industry at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm doing a lot. I'm spending a lot of places. So I do a little bit of teaching here and there, uh, mostly just casual here and there. But I do a lot of workshop and poetry teaching, which I really love and I'm doing a lot of Writing mentoring, which is also great. I love working with emerging writers. Got to resist the temptation to say young writers. A lot of emerging writers are young, but I also love, love, love seeing people come to their craft, whatever it is, later on in life. Because sometimes things don't line up for us when we'd like them to. And sometimes it's a little bit further down the track than we get to things that really excite us. So I love helping people uh, figure that out. And I'm kind of doing the job that I wish someone with when I was starting, I made a lot of mistakes um, business-wise and craft-wise at the outset. I just didn't have experience. I um, didn't have someone to say, you shouldn't do this, you should do this. This might work for you or it may not. Um, so just doing that for other people is really, really satisfying. So in like an audiobook or like poetry slams and things like that and all the different forms of art that you're involved with, with literature like Mm. that's really you can reach so many different people even if they're a person that doesn't want to sit down and read a book so for Mm. some people it is laborious like Mm. I have two sons who I desperately want them to read books and they will not and especially my youngest son just recently was reading Romeo and Juliet for school and I was like oh I love Romeo and Juliet let's watch the movie let's go see the play wouldn't wouldn't be in it for quids um so you've really tapped into other ways to share that love of of the art of writing in different ways as well yeah and there's different facets to it as well i mean different things shown out like you know i think in other art forms we're more aware of the facets like if we look at something like music you know you never say to someone like do you like music because of course we like music um but you know we're aware of genres within that and like subgenres and subgenres and some people like going out to gigs and some people don't and some people like listening to 
jazz sitting in an armchair with a glass of wine. Some people love music at clubs, you know. So I think with the with storytelling, it's a similar thing. I think we're just not always as cognizant of that, but it can take many different forms and attract different audiences, mm-hmm. and that's that's great. That's something you want to embrace. And with the process of working with someone on an audio book, um, you, your publisher is Blackstone. Um, mm. How involved were you in the process of that? Not a lot, to be honest. They, I think what they're doing is um, <clears throat> audio, there's this thing at the moment where, so <clears throat> from, I guess, around five years ago, we saw in the television streaming world, people just hungry for ideas. Like, all of a sudden, there's like, a million new stations they've got to fill with content. So they were just going around, buying up all ideas, rebooting stuff, remaking it. Audio is sort of having a similar moment. And I think you know part of it is because video is a little bit saturated now, uh, whereas audio, it, it's a different space. People listen to it while they're driving or whatever. So they're really hungry for ideas. So I think there's a few companies that are just going around, like looking at any book that's around and picking it up. As long as it's good, obviously. And it's got some evidence that people have enjoyed it. So this one was pretty great. They just kind of came out of the nowhere and they were like, can we grab this? And I said, sure, I hope you do a good job. Um, the main thing I was worried about was that they uh, would get uh, an American to do it because they're an American company. Yeah. They were really good. They actually got um, uh, an Australian woman with an Italian background, which is perfect because that's the Vincetti family has Italian backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few generations back, but nevertheless, she was good with the pronunciation and everything. Uh, and she's also a fantastic actor, which is amazing. For me, who's done like... A little bit of like voice acting here and there, but does performance poetry and that kind of thing. I, I think the the performance really lifts so much, and she did a really, really wonderful job. So I'm very grateful. And because you do voice work yourself, don't you? Uh, had I'm, you thought about it. doing the book yourself? Uh, I, I mean, if they'd asked me, I probably would have done it. But um, it's just about reaching a wider audience. So if you get a more established actor, does that. And also, I think female voice makes a little bit more sense for this one. The main character Freya really dominates dominates mm. the story it's not first person it's not just her there's not uh, there's a few scenes that she's not in but she's very heavily the heart and soul of the story so i think it, it works a little bit better with the female narrator so it, it's out now it can be downloaded through audible is that correct yeah audible and the usual other places it should be all around the shop which i have to say is um such a fascinating thing for me like especially you know my first book was with a small indie publisher right and physically getting a book into someone's hands um, is harder than it should be. So getting people excited about your book is a little bit of work. And then you've done that. They say, cool, I'm excited about this book. Maybe I'll go check it out. And then if you're, you know, if you're not super well resourced, if you're not with a massive publisher, that's harder than it should be. You want people to just be able to go to like any store that's on the shelf. But obviously that can happen if you're not JK Rowling. Um, but yeah, with digital, it's pretty cool. Like people, while I'm talking to them, they can be like, I'm going to check it out. Cool. Here it is. Hit download. Great. Oh, amazing. Which is so fun. Uh, and yeah, I love that aspect of it. It's really cool. Mm. And before you were approached to do the audiobook, had you considered doing that yourself? I kicked the idea around a little bit, but I guess the reason why I didn't ultimately do it is... I was sort of hoping my publisher would get it done eventually, and then I just got busy with other things. Mm. Down the line, I'd probably like to read one myself. Um, if I get a little bit, uh, if I get invited to do it, I'll probably do it because uh, I enjoy, yeah, enjoy doing, you know, funny voices or whatever. It's a great time. I love it. Um, so I would probably make a real meal out of that if someone would let me. Um, if not, I think there's there's certainly uh, writers who've done it indie and it can work, and it's gotten easier as well. Mm. Like it used to be. 
uh, people probably forget this because the tech world moves so fast, but like when iTunes first came out, you couldn't just get your music up there as an indie band. And Spotify came out, and then Spotify was like, no, 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 we don't just want to hear from you if you're just any band. And then slowly they go like, oh, yeah, whatever, just give us your stuff, it's fine. And so audiobooks, similar kind of deal. It mm. didn't use to that you could just get your stuff up there, and then the mechanisms are a little bit smoother, so there's ways to do it as someone who's not with um, one of the big five publishers. Um, which is good. I'm always all about opening those gateways up to people who aren't necessarily with the biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest resources behind them. That's how people, you know, make their way in the arts. Have you considered um, maybe doing one of your books as a podcast and maybe having a chapter per episode? Yeah, I'm interested in that idea. Uh, might do that at some stage, maybe. I know there's a lot of authors who do like, they'll do like a YouTube of them reading the first one or two chapters. I think that's a fun idea. Yeah, it might be something to play with down the down the line. I think at the moment, it's 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 this funny thing. I always see that writers who are starting out, like they're like, oh, no one cares about me, no one's chasing my work, and it's a bummer. But the side of that is, you can just pursue whatever you want, and you can run in any direction that you want. At the moment, I got a lot of fun ideas, but I've got limited time, and I've got a lot of people who are asking things of me. I've got like editors I've got to get back to, I've got my agent I've got to reply to, I've got programs I've got to write, and I'm very grateful to have all of that. I'm mm. very but the flip side of it is like I can't run on any mad tangent I want all the time I have yeah. limited mm-hmm. so when you're starting out and no one's really keeping tabs on you that's something to celebrate is really just uh, running in any crazy direction throw something in the wall and see if it sticks you know that's, mm. that's a- and you can be so creative then when you're feeling free um, <laughs> it does change as your career grows and suddenly you have to answer to people in a different way um, and then um, <laughs> Just as a point, you you know me in real life. We've met before, mm. and you probably would never have gone, "Oh, that lady will be a podcaster one day." <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally true. But I would have said the same thing to anyone ten years ago. Yes, I yeah. Said anyone would be a podcaster ten years ago. Um, so, but yeah. it, it's actually a really easy creative um, art form for me because um, I am a little bit shy in in my real persona um but i find this a really easy way to reach out to the world and to connect with other artists um and i feel confident in this format um Mm -hmm. so it to to me i'm like oh when when i do have my book published i could do it as a podcast if i want and what i'm doing now i really enjoy like um having a chat with you i'll walk away feeling quite satisfied like it's um stimulating for my mind which I need a lot of that (laughs) now you also write for children I was lucky enough um a few years ago to go to one of your book launches Zeb and the Great Ruckus and I I loved the premise of that book as well I really enjoyed my boys were little and I read it aloud to them and it was um yeah a lot of fun um and I did see that you've got a book of spells on your website as well is that is that poetry yeah, it is 19 and a half spells disguised as poems. So it's just a practical book of spells for, you know, the things we need every day in our lives. Things like uh, scaring off zombies, turning unicorns into normal horses, just the stuff that we all need to get us through our day-to-day lives yeah. uh, in the form of uh, sneakily disguised as poetry so that I don't get into trouble. Okay. So, yeah, that's a, it's a fun little book. I, 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 there's one poem in there that's a, a spell to really annoy your parents. And then the following poem is a, a spell to um, make your parents forgive you. And I, I love that I had a oh kid gosh. run up to the playground one day and be like, I read that spell so many times and made my parents so angry. I was like, well, that's pretty <laughs> funny. Did you do the next one though? He's like, yeah, I did. And they really loved it. I was like, well, that's pretty great. 
So you're inspiring kids to read with with those sort of books. That's amazing. Just uh, sneaking it in there, you know, like uh, using a, what do we call it, you know, a little bit of uh, sugar to make the medicine go down, you know? Yeah, yeah. I understand that one. Now, you've got some more things coming out for 2023. Like, it's yeah. going to be a massive year by the sounds of it for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny, you know. Like, the last couple of years, um, obviously, things have been pretty crazy and all over the place, but <clears throat> I've had a few kind of things that I've tried and haven't quite landed with publishers and whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I, getting an agent, just kind of things happen really quickly. So I think that there's something in the arts that we forget, which is we have this utopian ideal that if you just make good stuff, people will find it and it'll be successful and it's very sadly not the truth so it's it's, about, it's quality work it's um luck and it's getting it in front of the right people those are those three things and they're all sadly equally as important if you get all three you're probably going to do okay but even then not necessarily um but we like to think that like oh if you're just talented you'll be successful which isn't really true in any field you can be a great chef and your restaurant can still fail you know because wrong suburb or you open it at the wrong time or that cuisine goes out of fashion or whatever Anyway, so I had a few things. I was starting to get pretty frustrated. I just had a couple of things come together all at once. So I feel very, very lucky about that. But it's also like, it's sort of an illusion because then it's like, oh, this guy's so prolific. He's pumped out these things all at once. It's like, oh, that's actually the work of a couple of years. Yeah, it's years and years of work. But yeah, I'm really excited about it. So there's uh, one that's tentatively called The Fabulist that um, has had a pretty good bit of buzz around it. Uh, It's a a dark kind of surreal crime comedy thriller the thriller is really big right now mm-hmm. and i was looking at a lot of them and they're like look these are fun books they're entertaining i don't think they're weird enough so i wrote one that's a little bit weirder mm-hmm. a little bit more kind of australian crime comedy there's like bikey oh, sort of stuff uh so yeah going a little bit further down the rabbit hole in that one and we're in the process of getting the film in front of some people as well so we're gonna try that's and make very exciting. yeah films are a whole other thing but, where yeah. is that at is that still being pitched or is it something that looks yeah. like it might be happening we've got a script it's being pitched but we've got a, multiple production companies who are expressing interest so and like a uh proper interest not just polite form of interest which is hard to discern when you're new to the industry but um yeah. so yes yeah, so i've got some people who are helping me out some producers who are working on it so it's still super long shot films are a really hard thing to get off the ground but um we're gonna try and do that and then the other one is the first of a trilogy, and it's um, <clears throat> a gothic, a gothic again, kind of dark comedy. Dark comedy is my whole thing uh, about a professional mourner who goes to a funeral and um, gets a house left to her in the will. Okay, that sounds like it's got legs. Yeah, and in the very strange house that she inherits, it's filled with all this weird junk. And then in the background, there's someone frozen in a cryonic chamber, and then oh. things get things get weirder from there. So. Weirder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's coming out in 2023. Um, who's that being published through? So it's coming out through Level Best Books, who are a really great um, American mystery publisher. They're owned by three women who call themselves the Dames of Detection, which I love. That's uh, amazing. And yeah, they've got a real presence in America. They do lots of like crime conferences and stuff. And um, yeah, so I'm really excited to see what, what they do. They're, they're really into their their craft, which I'm excited to be part of. Awesome. And they've signed you for a trilogy? Yeah. Okay. And so um, how is that going? Have you got all three books already written or are you, is it just number one? 
Um, I've got the first one's written and done, and the next two I've plotted out, and I just need the time to go and do them. So I got a I got a toddler, so that's definitely changed my whole process. That's uh, it's now my first question when I'm working with emerging writers is like when they're planning their stuff. Um, it does change your process having children. Yes, yes, hundred percent. And so I think I'm a little bit less patient with writers who don't have children and say they're struggling. Time. I mean, it's fair enough if you if you generally have to work sixty hours a week at your job, or you've got you know like um, uh, a parent that you're caring for, or something like that. I'm I'm fine. But I think it's the writers who are like, oh, I don't have any time, and then tell me they watched an entire season of something on Netflix over the weekend. Like, do you not have time, or are you bad at time management? Because I are- am super guilty of that. I, I do I indulge mean, in Netflix, but I call it research. But we're all, right, we're all we've all got our foibles. I don't want to yeah. be up on my high horse too much, but they're different questions. Time management yes. is something to work on. Mm-hmm. Having no time is a, a harder problem to deal with. So you've got to figure out which one it is, you know? So, yeah, in terms of the next two books, how are you coping with having um, deadlines to meet in that way? Uh, I like it. Deadline's good. It means, um, <clears throat> especially, it helps me prioritise. So especially as someone who's doing a bunch of things all at once, I normally just say, what's the first deadline lined up? Focus on that right now. Mm. And then move to the next deadline. So... I like it. Um, I don't know. I kind of miss university when I had like assignments and it was that kind of uh, satisfying thing of like ticking each one off. So I guess I sort of have an equivalent now. Yeah. So just working with those people to make sure I get everything in on time. But I'm pretty lucky. My my schedule's pretty flexible, which again, being a parent, I'm very grateful for. So I think that's a that's something to be very grateful for. So you've kind of shifted from having to be that nine to five person fitting your art around in the cracks to being able to be a bit more professional and treat it like a business now. Yeah, totally. And I think um, <clears throat> the other the other thing I'd mention is there's there's a bit of an ethos that I think comes to us largely from like Silicon Valley, where it's like the whole thing of like if you want to chase your dreams, you got to you know quit your day job, work it at forty hours a week, and it's kind of funny because it's like well that's assuming you have enough money in the bank to live off for months of the time where you get things going, which most people don't. But, um, I mean, a more logical thing is just phasing from one thing to another. So I've kind of slowly over time, you know, I still do a little bit of teaching here and there, but it's it's a very small portion of my, like I might do four days in a month kind of thing, oh. um, whereas it used to be three or four days a week. Um, so I've just slowly phased the other way. And, <clears throat> again, I love teaching and I love reading to kids and getting kids excited about books. So it kind of all feeds into the same thing, you know. I don't see it as hugely separate. I'm not like, I don't know, working as a welder or something. It's my other job. Not that there's anything wrong with being a welder. It's a good practical job. But, um, yeah, those things aren't t- entirely separate anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely some jobs that you do that have no flexibility and really affect your creativity. Um, yeah. And then there's people that are blessed to be in roles where the lines are blurred a bit. Yeah. Um, and I think all writers face that challenge before they move from one to the other where they have to, if they really want to be successful, like with, to produce a novel, they have to do the hard yards of both. Um, Yeah. And I was having a a terrifying moment this morning. I had a coffee with a friend and we're talking about a project I want to produce and it was next year is going to be a very hard year because I'm going to have to really still be working and sitting up late at night or early in the mornings writing the novel I feel a bit frightened. So um, I'm really impressed with the amount of work that you've uh, produced, Josh. Like, 
um, you're really prol prolific and you seem to be able to cover lots of different um, genres as well, which I'm always impressed with. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, <clears throat> the genre thing uh, people bring up a lot, um, I don't know, I guess I, I heard a musician once who was saying how he thinks it's really funny that people assume that he only listens to the type of music he makes. So he made kind of like jangly kind of guitar pop, really fun stuff. But he was like, uh, I was just listening to some Iron Maiden on the way over here. So good. Love Iron Maiden. And I think musicians often uh, kick around stylistically quite a lot. And authors, I don't know, I think like writing fiction, you're so unbound. You know, you can set stuff in space, in the past, in the future, alternate dimensions. Um, it's kind of hard to avoid that temptation to go really big, you know. Mm. Um, so I don't know, like I think ultimately, I think even authors who do genre hop a lot, they're still common themes and common ideas that cut through their work. So mine is, I love, I love dark comedy. I love looking at why the darkest moments in our lives are also funny on the, on the flip side. And I love looking at, um, the strange and unexpected that's hiding right in front of us. So those things are the things that fascinate me and like, uh, and moments of connection, which sounds incredibly vague, but moments when human beings are deeply connected in a way that is unexpected mm. is really, and that's probably true of most writers, but um, that's one thing in particular I always look for. Is there a moment where there's two people who wouldn't normally meet, who have met and have to do something together or are brought together, and why is that interesting? So it doesn't matter what genre you're in, those kind of things can bounce across uh, whatever it is you're writing. Mm -hmm. Now, I have some quick fire questions that I ask all of my uh, guests um, yep. just um, fun and just so that listeners can get to learn a little bit more about you can you tell me what your favorite book was growing up yeah uh, I had a few but the one I'm gonna jump on it's it's an obvious choice Lord of the Rings right yes. uh, I know I know that's probably a lot of writers but uh, it's for good reason uh, I just loved it so much and I, I, I had this clear moment where, like it's heavy I remember throwing down the last one and it had like this audible thud and just being like stopping and being genuinely confused that everyone didn't want to be a writer. I was like, this is clearly the best job, everybody in the world. Why is everyone in the world either not a writer or trying to be a writer? So I think that was a really definitive moment for me. And like those worlds are so rich. So I know it's not a cool, obscure choice, but I mean, it's it's a work of genius. And I think what's what's great about Tolkien as well is like, it's fantasy and it's fun. There's, there's dragons, there's magic. That's all great. But he was a brilliant man, and he invented entire language systems. You know, that's no mean feat. He invented entire etymologies. That's very deeply impressive. So it's hard to go past. Well, even if you think, just if you just thought about writing Lord of the Rings, mm. there must have been a lot of time where he was just daydreaming. Oh, yeah. Just in immersing himself in that world. Yeah, it was no mean feat to create that. Yeah. I've just recently in, invested in um, a whole heap of Joseph Campbell books about the hero's journey. And I'm yeah. like, I don't think I have time to just sit and think. Like, yeah. I think that that's the the real, um, there's talent in engaging with your imagination. Um, and I think, unfortunately, as we get older and busier, we lose that talent a little bit. Um, mm. So that's one thing I'm going to have to learn how to create time in my life to imagine again. Mm. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. All right, back to you. <laughs> if you could be any book character, who would it be? Oh, that is a fun one. Um, 
I'm going to stick with childhood here. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, again, an obvious choice. I'm going to not apologize for that. Sometimes obvious is good. The kids jumping around in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe as a kid, I was like, that's what I want to do. It's like, it's right there. You go back to your normal everyday life and you have, uh, you know, dinner at the dinner table. But then you jump off through the cupboard and you go crazy and you become a prince and you save the world and body very well. So I think that was the first one as a kid where I was like, yeah, I actually want to do that. Like, I don't just like reading about Like, I actually want to do that. And I would run into friends' um, wardrobes and, like, pull them open, just, like, hoping I could see it. That's years so years, cute. Oh, my years, goodness. Like, yeah. That's what I love about literature, right? It's, like, stimulates the imagination and turns ordinary objects into beautiful things. Many years later, I dated someone who's – it's such an obscure thing. It's, like, their uncle worked at the university where C.S. Lewis's wardrobe now lived or something, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. Like, it's that such a – That is pretty cool. It's such a it's such a, a a weak link between those two things. It's not like it was at my house. It was like, oh, my uncle went to the university, but I still thought it was just amazing. Yes, no, that's pretty amazing. What are you reading right now? Um, what am I reading right now? So I'm reading on audio. I normally have two books going at once, one physical and one audio. On audio, I just started reading Casey Wilson, who's an actor. Her book of essays, which is she's an actor and writer, and it's very very funny, and she reads it beautifully, um, so that's quite brilliant and insightful. And then I'm reading Anne Patchett's The Dutch House, mm-hmm. which I like, but I don't like as much as her others. I don't think. I think I read Bel Canto earlier this year, and I just can't stop thinking about that book. And um, sometimes it's tough with an author when you read their greatest work early, and then yeah, you're just trying yeah. to chase that high all the time. So I read Commonwealth and I read Bel Canto, and I was like, oh, Anne Patchett's the best. And then a lot of people said to me, kind of like, yeah, she, those books are phenomenal, but the others not as good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dutch House, pretty good, but I just think her other work, one of those things where it feels like just opens up a door into a reality she's created that feels so real. You feel like, you know, she writes totally real world, nothing fantastic, but it feels like these people exist. It feels like they're made of flesh and bone. And that's, that's a real achievement as a writer when you create characters that feel like they should have you know, um, credit histories and uh, employment histories and romantic histories, they feel so real. And so I think she's she's pretty brilliant at doing that. It's, it's a challenge to make your characters have depth. So, <laughs> so those people that can do it, well done. Yeah. If you could invite five literary people to dinner, who would they be? Okay, um, Rob Fire. So Neil Gaiman's got to be top of the list, both because he's a great writer and he seems genuinely, like, funny. You know what I mean? He's a it's cool like, guy. He seems cool. He seems funny. Um, so they'd be him. Alan Lightman, I think, like, being a poet and physicist, such a cool combo, that's got to be good for dinner conversation. You know what I mean? Not only is he bringing that physics, he's also bringing that uh, poetic conversation. I'm going to play it safe and say Sally Rooney because she's, like, the hot young thing at the moment. It'd be very interesting to see someone who's kind of pushing trends at the moment. Yeah. I like Sally Rooney. I don't like her as much as uh, everyone else, but I think her writing is really shaping what's happening right now. So it would be interesting to talk to her. Uh, Salman Rushdie, and then N.K. Jemisin is another one. I'm obsessed with N.K. Jemisin. She used to be a psychologist, and now she writes this incredibly rich fantasy. Um, and I think I, I can only imagine that psychology background has helped us so much with character creation. I heard um, her on the Ezra Klein show, and she walked him, who, a guy who doesn't write fiction at all, she walked him through the process of building a fictional world. And for for fantasy writers listening to this, Go and check that episode out. So N.K. Jemison on the Ezra Klein show, mm-hmm. just a phenomenal uh, one-hour workshop in, like, 
how you take it from nothing to a credible world that has geography and climate and um, how the populations interact and just really brilliant stuff. So I think she's pretty fascinating too. Amazing. I might put a link in the show notes to that as mm. well. And just what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the beginning of your writing career? Yeah, well, like I said, that one of the cool things is I get to do that for writers now. Um, so, I mean, one of them is the business and the art are so separate. Yeah. And I think that's true of most arts practices. You know, we have the idea that, like, you do good work, you get successful, whatever. Um, it's not true. So you got to learn both, but they are distinct. So not to be frustrated if the business side of things isn't going great. Some people manage to write pretty ordinary work that sells a million copies. Some people write a work of genius that gets largely ignored and then discovered 30 years later. And quick tangent, one of my favorite stories on that. So The Revenant, um, the film that came out a few years ago, was based on a novel that came out in like the early 2000s, right? So it was written and it did fine. It sold like a few thousand copies, did okay. You know, not a, not a total disaster. I think it was like 10,000 copies or something. So not a disaster, but not a huge success. Um, that author went on to work for the UN. And so when the film came out, he was bound to uh, not talk about it publicly because you're not allowed to self-publicize. Oh, no. yep. So he's like, yeah, this dream kind of came true many years later and he couldn't do a single interview about it. He's like, yeah, I can't. I mean, he's doing fine. He works for the UN. He's not like a starving artist or like, uh, you know, struggling. But I just thought that was so funny that like success. Yeah, something you've worked all your life for. Yeah. And then so, you can't quite enjoy it in the same way. Yeah. So I think that would be that. It would be separating the art and the business, recognizing their separate processes, and then also really celebrating the successes. I think a lot of writers forget to do that. Our brains are unfortunately very wired to grab onto criticism and failure. It's, you know, yeah. psychologists talk about this a lot. It's an evolutionary thing. We focus on threats, which is great for human survival, not great for individual enjoyment. So every time you have a success, you get, you read a poem out and you get some applause, you get something published in a small literary journal, you tweet something funny and people love it. Like mm. take stock of those moments and remember them and maybe even keep a file and store them up. So when you're feeling low, you run back That's over that. That's a good idea. I hadn't yes. thought of that because I know, because I'm going through the process of having my first picture book published, which is super exciting, but right. my brain is already going, you need to have another one. Because sure. just one is yep. not enough for a career. Um, yep. But what I should be trying to do is be present in the moment I'm in now and enjoying this process, and my brain is not letting me at all. Yeah. And it's it's tough because that drive obviously pushes you to the next thing, but you've got to have that balance, you know. You've got to celebrate those, those things that you've worked so hard for because there's always going to be emails waiting for you in the next project. That's not going to stop, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take a moment to celebrate. I think that's kind of something that's relevant to whatever your job is, is like take stock and pause when the good stuff happens, you know, celebrate it because when things go bad, you're going to not be able to forget about it and push it aside and you're going to have to deal with it, but you've got to balance those things, you know. Now, what I would love is when the fabulist gets to development and is on the screens, I'd love to talk to you about that process because I really, yeah. I've been sort of investing and reading and learning about all the other facets of writing. Like, um, it's one thing to write your book, but then the next thing is an audio book or how exciting if it gets um, adapted for television or film. But it's a completely different process as well, and you do kind of lose some of the say in what happens in those steps. So I'd love to hear about the process and your experiences 
as as you get more successful, Josh. It seems like the only way is up for you, which is Fingers amazing. But when it gets to that point, I'd love to have you back on the show again to, to chat about the, how those experiences are, because that's sort of the goals for authors these days as well, is to, okay, I've got my first publishing contract. Okay, I've got this script. Where can I send it off to? Oh, it's been picked up. Like, it is so many different processes involved in the art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for being on with me today and sharing your work. So for people who want to find your audiobook, Audible is the place to go. Yeah, it should be a few other places, but um, yeah, Audible is obviously, you know, kind of the, the main place that a lot of people go to, but it should be around at most of the other providers as well. And your website? Uh, yeah, my website is jmdonellan.com, so that's J-M for Mary, D-O-N-E-L-L-A-N, and then I'm on all the other stuff with the same thing, J.M. Donellan, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. And are your books open for mentoring at the moment if there's authors out there listening that would like to engage your services? Um, yeah, so um, I work with the Queensland Writers' Centre, so get in touch with them. If you can't get me, you can get someone else who's also wonderful. So so I have some time, but not tons, but uh, there's lots of other great authors there who are excited to help people. So Amazing. it's a match for what you're trying to do. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Josh. No worries, best to see you. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines, and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totally lit. This will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees. I love to interact with our listeners, so feel free to say hello either by email or social media. Um, You can find me by email at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. So please jump into the group and say hello. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create, ignite.